only for your benefit, a fascicle 98 from the record of Dongshan. The case. Once when Dongshan was washing his bowls, he saw two birds contending over a frog. A monk nearby asked, why does it come to this? Dongshan said, it's only for your benefit, Acharya. Comment, Aiken Roshi's comment. The bell and the clappers are only for your benefit. How much more the squabble of birds? You do not end at the skin of your head. The world does not end at the skin of your head. With the human eye and ear, the waterfall and thrush find their home. The deer know that you and I are the fulcrums. Aiken Roshi's verse. With the impersonal turn of a switch, 10,000 homes are destroyed. With quiet sitting in one place, the doe brings her fawn to show off. Please sit comfortably. So the Dongshan Liangjie was 9th century um, Zen master, great teacher among great teachers during the, the flowering of Chan Buddhism in the Tang Dynasty. He was the 38th ancestor in the lineage that comes down from the Buddha and in terms of the Grand Masters of ancient China he was in the 10th generation after Bodhidharma. He and his successor Sao Shan, Benji, are revered as the founders of the Sardong lineage, known in Japanese as Sota. <coughs> the name Sardong comes it's a portmanteau combination of the, uh, the names of the mountains on which these two masters lived and taught. Sao Shan. Sao Dong. Dong Shan. Sao Shan. Shan is mountain. Uh, Dongshan went on pilgrimage as a young man and engaged with some of the foremost teachers of his era, finally settling uh, down as a student with uh, Yunyan Tangsheng, who lived in a, uh, in a series of linked caves. Um, it's a wonderful environment with uh, other hermits uh, practicing there as well. Eventually, um, Dongshan established his own centre on Cave Mountain, uh, Dongshan in Hongshao. The poetic work, widely known as the Five Ranks, a pair of, uh, a pair of esoteric five-verse summations of Chan teaching is traditionally attributed to Dongshan, as is the poem, The Song of the Precious Mirror Samadhi, um, which is the actual womb of the five ranks, or the first cycle of the five ranks. Um, I, the, the expression um, widely known as the five ranks, um, I, my cat, uh, possum, I, uh, I say, the cat widely known as possum. <laughs> it makes me very happy <laughs> to think of her fame and... Uh, uh, you know, the, such a wonderful expression, widely known as. 
So the five, the five ranks, there's a wonderful way of doing the, the first cycle anyway of the five ranks as, as bright and dark. So bright stands for the particular, um, for each of us in a, as completely and absolutely unique. Um, the dark as, as the vastness itself, the vastness of essential nature itself. So, so the bright and the dark. So the first one is the, <clears throat> the bright within the dark. Okay, And this is kind of that experience where you are all alone in the universe. Um, in Mary's Tesho and Mu, uh, when you meet the Buddha, you kill the Buddha. Because when you meet the Buddha, there is no Buddha at all. There is just the vastness that you are. Uh, you walk the universe alone. That's f uh, first position. Second position, the dark within the bright. This is where the universe uh, comes in and takes up lodgings. Uh, as it always has. This is the long-term rental stuff, you know. <laughs> Not sure what the legal terms are, but uh, it goes beyond lease, you know. <laughs> so that's the, the second. The third uh, uh, position is just the dark. Just the dark. Everything is is within the fastness. Even the very language that we try to express this in. This has profound implications for Zen. Um, the crude view that somehow language is outside of Zen and it's a kind of a conceptual nuisance that, uh, is completely wrong. What this says is that even language itself is complicit in this whole business and dissolves in it uh, completely. Yeah. Along with you and me. Uh, the fourth rank is just the bride. Um, it's you. It's completely particular. But this is not referring to some stage sort of before the stages. This is you, but backlit with the darkness. Com the darkness is completely complicit and implicit as you. Um, for Hakuin, this position emerges, or ranks as he called them, emerges with the, the, the unification of, uh, through practice, of the bright and the dark, of the, the unique and the universal, the particular and the relative and the absolute, whatever you want to call it. Um, so he saw this as a, 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 a position which evolves through practice and slow maturing. And lastly, the dark as the bright. Okay. Yeah. There, is no, there is no distinction whatsoever. These seem like a sequence, one, you know, going one to five, but actually each of them is the whole matter uh, itself. It's popular to see them as a sequence. But yeah, you uh, just as you are. 
This also goes along with forgetting the whole business. Right? You just live your life. And finally, uh, you live your life. Uh, it is uh, as you are, as it is. Mm. Uh, it's a tiny sketch. But Dongshan had 26 successes, and the principal ones were Sa Shan and Yun Chu. The lattice line endured for about 800 years in China, disappearing in the 17th century. Uh, Ehe Dogen, uh, who lived from 1200 to 1253, brought the Saodong line to Japan in the 13th century, and it's persisted there as one of the major streams of Zen that comes down to us today, the other being Linchi or Rinzai stream. Uh, the Sambo Kyodan, uh, which is the parent sect to Diamond Sangha of Parent, shouldn't say sect these days, um, school, <laughs> to uh, Diamond Sangha, um, was founded by Harada and Yasutani Roshi, who were in the Soto tradition as, as priests and teachers, but there was no Khan work, <coughs> and they were desperate to do Khan work, so they worked with with Rinzai teachers, and uh, then stayed within the Soto tradition, but as, as rebels within that uh, tradition. And we're very lucky to come out of that rebellious line. Um, and we are so privileged, we are so lucky to inherit uh, those two streams of Shikantaza, Silence Illumination on one hand, and Koans on the other. Um, we are immensely lucky. So I want to introduce Dongshan through a story rather than through just talking about um, history. Luckily, all of the stories are quite ahistorical. So we met uh, Yunyan and Dongshan the other night, uh, or the other day, and. Uh, Yunyan said to him, if you go away, it will be hard for us to meet. Mm. And uh, Dongshan responded, it will be difficult for us not to meet. So here he is going away uh, again. Just prior to leaving his master, Yunyan, Dongshan approached him and asked, if after many years someone should ask if I am to betray your if I am able to portray your likeness, how should I respond? This refers to the fact that unless a student had transmission, they couldn't do a portrait of their teacher. Um, so he, this question carries a lot of weight. He's really saying, um, in time if I become a teacher, will I be able to portray your likeness? It's a loaded question. After remaining quiet for a while, uh, Yunyan said, just this person. Dongshan was lost in thought. Yunyan said, Jie Acharya, having assumed the burden of this great matter, you must be very cautious, um, having raised this matter. Uh, you, you need to be cautious. Dongshan remained dubious about what Yunyan had said. Later, as he was crossing a river, Dongshan glimpsed his own reflection in the water below 
and experienced a great wake awakening as to the meaning of the previous exchange. Dongshan immediately composed the following gata. Taking heed not to seek it elsewhere, as if it were distant from myself, I now go on alone, yet everywhere I meet him. He is now exactly me, but I am not now him. You should meet in this way, for only then can you realise thus. He's, he's not looking outside of himself. All of his early life as a student, he was asking the question, do non-sentient beings preach the Dharma? Does the floor preach the Dharma? Do the stars preach the Dharma? Do bricks and tile rubble preach the Dharma? And there is a very kind of outward movement to, the, to his Dharma from the very, very beginning. Years of questioning, carrying that question from teacher to teacher. Now he's saying, take heed not to seek it elsewhere. Why would you seek it elsewhere? says, I now go on alone. This is, you walk the universe alone. Completely solitary. And yet in the same breath, everywhere I meet him. Him is not a word here. Everywhere I meet it. Everywhere I meet her. There are no words which, which do it here. What is it? And there is a subtle sense that he is meeting his teacher, Yunyan, here. Everywhere I meet him. That's also there. He is now exactly me. Everyone does it around the other way, you know. Uh, I am him, I am this, I am that. But the, the language is very important here. He is now exactly me. Um, it's very delicate and I don't want to open it. But, uh, yeah. He is now exactly me, but I am not now him. It's completely unique. By this stage, Yunyan is dead. Yunyan... Mouldering in his memorial stupa. Dongshan striding uh, downstream. Everything ablaze. You should meet in this way. You should meet like that. In order, for only then can you realise thus. What is thus? <laughs> Each of you sitting here, the light reflected in the window, the water in the cup. No words will do it. Thus. <laughs> thus kind of ducks the issue in some way. But thus, it's this. So Dongshan's teaching, he Comes a great teacher, and by the way, this poem is a is a tremendous poem of the way. Uh, it's a teacher who has really begun to teach. 
His teaching as it comes down to us, like Jungian's, is often dark and elliptical. His corner-of-the-mouth delivery gives us nothing to hold on to. <clears throat> when he was ordained, he received the Dharma name Lianjie, which means good servant. He has a good servant's discretion. We might feel that when he replies, the, sorry, it's a long way back now, but with the case for tonight, um, he's sitting there with another monk, they're washing their bowls, um, and they see two birds contending over a frog, meaning they are tearing the frog apart um, and trying to get, uh, get to eat it for themselves. Contending is such a delicate word here, but uh, it's quite bloody. And uh, the other, the monk says, um, why does it come to this? And he says, it's only for your benefit. We might feel that only for your benefit, with those words, he is serving up abundant life. Uh, for the monk, or at least something good. But actually, it's only for your benefit is fatal for the doubting monk, and indeed for all of us. So what about the frog being torn in two, and the bird squabbling, all that bright carnage? Does it have hands, face and face? That little holy family, isn't it innocently and obliviously you? That blood, those entrails, aren't they yours? We can't acquire benefit any more than we can avoid it. Kafka wrote, you can hold back from the suffering of the world. You have permission to do so and it is in accordance with your nature. But perhaps this very holding back is the one suffering that you could have avoided. <clears throat> holding back is suffering. The place of avoidance is lonely and fraught, yet it is no other than the silent immensity. But whether we hide or whether we front up, the world continues to destroy our safe havens. There's a great book has come out recently uh, called, uh, called 21 Lessons for the 21st Century uh, by Yuval Nye Harari. And, uh, you know, this uh, case, uh, Dongshan says with the, the frog being torn apart by the birds, it's only for your benefit. Is it only for your benefit when much larger things are destroyed before you, including you? Most uh, Harari writes, most threatening of all is the prospect of climate change, or the reality of climate change. There's a scientific consensus that human activities, in particular the emission of greenhouse gases such as carbon dioxide, are causing the Earth's climate to change at an alarming rate. Nobody knows exactly how much carbon dioxide we can continue to pump into the atmosphere. 
without triggering an irreversible cataclysm. But our best scientific estimates indicate that unless we dramatically cut the emission of greenhouse gases in the next 20 years, average global temperatures will increase by more than 2 degrees centigrade, resulting in expanding deserts, disappearing ice caps, rising oceans and more frequent extreme weather events. These changes in turn will disrupt agricultural production, inundate cities, make much of the world uninhabitable and send hundreds of millions of refugees in search of new homes. Humanity has very little time left to wean itself of fossil fuels. We may already be too late. You are not other than the suffering world. It is not other than you. How then will you act? In fact, how will you act when your activity would appear to make no difference? This is a great koan for all of us in these times. It's a great bodhisattva koan. And uh, David Loy uh, writes uh, here. According to the classical formulation, the bodhisattva takes a vow to help liberate all living beings. Someone who has volunteered for such an unachievable task is not going to be intimidated by present crises, no matter how hopeless they may appear. That is because the Bodhisattva practices, um, he calls it on both levels, inner and outer, which enables one to engage in goal-directed behaviour without attachment to results. As T.S. Eliot put it, uh, ours is in the trying, the rest is not our business. The Bodhisattva's job is to do the best he or she can without knowing what the consequences will be. Then he asks a question, have we already passed ecological tipping points and human civilization is doomed? We don't know. Yet rather than being intimidated, the Bodhisattva embraces don't know mind because Buddhist practice opens us up to the awesome mystery of an impermanent world where everything is changing, whether or not we notice it. If we don't really know what's happening, how do we really know what's possible until we try? Only for your benefit. Only for your benefit in the face of all of that. Robert Aiken, uh, who, who writes the commentaries here, I can't remember the source of Aiken Roshi's uh, comments, but. Um... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he comments uh, on uh, Dong Shan's Only for Your Benefit. The bell and the clappers are only for your benefit. How much more the squabble of birds. You do not end at the skin of your head. The world does not end at the skin of your head. You can be awakened in the Zendo by hearing a bell or by squabbling birds in a paddock. <coughs> There's a bell intimacy, bird intimacy. <coughs> There's no scale of benefit here at all. And truly your skin and your skull do not confine you. 
my boneheadedness doesn't block the world any more or less than the soft fontanelle of a newborn baby. The world that doesn't end at the skin of my head offers suffering and abundance, but it offers at the same time this. This with our joys, our sorrows, our frustration, our tiredness. Listen. With the human eye and ear, uh, the waterfall and thrush uh, find their home. And without the waterfall and the thrush, the human eye and ear have no home. We are completely dependent, mutually dependent. If that perishes, uh, we perish. The deer know well that you and I are fulcrums. Uh, this is technical. Um, I think it's in Dogen's Session Sesho. But the notion of pivot or fulcrum is that uh, each of us uh, are both the bright and the dark. Uh, we pivots. We are the pivots for for the immensity. Uh, and the bright particularity of the world, of the world of things. So he has this line, the deer know that you and I are the fulcrums. <clears throat> Without a drop of oil, the universe is pebble pivoted, breath pivoted. However, I doubt that the deer know a thing, of, uh, <coughs> however, I doubt that the deer know a thing, uh, know anything about us being fulcrums, or ever have. Such knowing is a human problem. The deer's gaze is far too wide and ancient for all of that. Hearing about fulcrums or other such contrivances should be enough to startle you and have you sniff the air. Akinoshi uh, has a verse uh, on Dongshan's only for your benefit. With the impersonal turn of a switch, uh, 10,000 homes are destroyed. With quiet sitting in one place, the doe brings her fawn to show off. Uh, here, Aiken Roshi pays tribute to Dongshan's adroitness and lightness of touch. Why does it come to this? Well, it's only for your benefit. Very light. As casually as a deer flicks off a bug with its tail, Dongshan's only for your benefit deprives us of our names, let alone our separate being. Only for your benefit may seem friendly, but its obliterating darkness rolls back forever.
with quiet sitting in one place, the doe brings her fawn to show off. Oh, it's so rarely that the lines of verse accord so beautifully <laughs> uh, with current reality. With quiet sitting in one place, how beautifully it is exemplified tonight and over this great, great session uh, which we have here. The doe brings her fawn to show off. It arises quite naturally, without your wishing or willing or pushing. The doe brings her fawn to show off. The flowers are on the altar, uh, the night sky with its stars, your aching legs, your tiredness, your elation, uh, you're not feeling so good tonight, uh, all of that, the doe brings its fawn to show off. Just one say, I, I meant to say earlier with regard to the five ranks, the, the, why it is important is that it, it shows that people think you have one, a, a small realisation experience and that's enough, but that does go, there, there are multitudinous um, paths that need to open and he, his vision is so broad, um, you know, just a little bit of experience is not enough, you know? Come on, come on. There's more to realise. Mm -hmm. People get a little bit of form as emptiness, but what about emptiness as form, for instance? That's more, often more subtle. He points to huge vistas of possibilities for practice through those five very brief little verses and the little captions on top. Thank you.